Wait till we get some people in here, eh? This one's all fucked up. Fucking stupid fucking knots. Is I'm doing or not? Give me a minute. Fuck's sakes. There we go. Yeah, okay, Chris. Oh, even Cole joined. What up, Cole? Hammond, how's it going? It's going good, it's going good. Just got off work. Ready to kick this podcast off. I'll uh, see if Don's going to join, and when he does, I'll invite him on, or worst case, I'll just invite him. You're, oh, I guess it's been almost a week since I gave you some, hasn't it, love? I think we all caught enough from Skagtober, bud. Thank you, Hammond. Thank you. I appreciate the love. Can anybody hear that heater in the background? I have a space heater running. Can, does it, like, annoying as shit? Or can you not hear it? I just want to make sure it's not, like, sitting back there just... Wah. Come on, give me, give me some feedback. Is that heater annoying back there? Can you hear it? Where the hell is it? Where the fuck? Oh, it's way back there. It's like way in the corner. Yeah. It's fine? Okay. Alright, ready? Let's get the... Let's get the shakes out of the way here. Uh, What's good, podcast fam? You are listening to... Episode 4 of the Behind the Bars podcast with special guest, Adventures This Way, or as we call them, Dawn. Now, how we start every podcast off, oh, that sweet sound of baby making right there. Ah, I haven't had a rock star vodka since high school, but I picked up a bunch in Quebec. I figured we were going to be staying up late. And I still have some left, so uh, it's free liquor. Down it. Dawn is the stud. A drop of dawn and the skag is gone. Speaking of dawn, let's get dawn in here. Dun, 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 dun. Adventures this way. Here. Hey, I gotta turn my camera on here. How the hell are we <laughs> There you are. Does that every time. What's going on? Not too much. How's she going today, Don? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Not too bad at all. I freaking spent most of the day. I was doing some service on my wife's 570 XMR. Anybody that says Outlanders aren't that bad to do maintenance on is full of shit. <coughs> like, 
I've heard the complete uh, opposite. Like, I have I have guys work on my bike that don't deal with Can Am, and they say just the plastic alone is enough to turn anybody away. I don't know why my headphones aren't. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there's just more things in the way. But honestly, the worst part was um, changing the gearbox oil. You got to take the footwell out of the way. And, oh, my God, it's on a Renegade, you don't even have to do any, any of that. Change the oil, you, just, you don't have to take anything off. You yeah, change it. it's the same. Yeah, it's on the Outlanders, it's awful. But luckily, I have the aftermarket footwell, so I only have, like, one bolt I got to take out of a side plate. And then I can see the window and everything right there for the gearbox. So luckily, if you ever want to avoid that with an Outlander, just go buy some aftermarket footwells and they'll make it a hell of a lot easier on you. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that would definitely that would definitely help. But uh, my, my wife's not really interested in doing any. Uh, she even just said today doing any mods to her bike. I said, don't worry, we'll do some stuff down the road when you're ready. Was she there? No, she wasn't there that day. That's a stupid question. Yeah, yeah. Stupid question. <laughs> yeah, I was partying with you. Of course she wasn't there. <laughs> so uh, let's get started with your name, brother. Uh, when it, <laughs> me? Uh, my name is Don, and uh, uh, I do videos on YouTube, and the channel's called Adventures This Way, and I got the same kind of handle on Instagram and a little bit on Facebook. I don't really do a whole lot on Facebook, but uh, – it's a whole other animal, but uh, I don't really worry about it too, too much. But uh, it's a good way to connect with some people. It's completely different. Instagram's a whole other thing. I, I do like Instagram, actually. Kind of get the hang of it. So did you start out on YouTube, or were you Instagram first? No, I started out I started out just on YouTube. And then I really added Instagram really pretty much a year or so ago. I really started pushing it a little bit. Like, yeah, I think it was about, like, really last October – when I really started kind of pushing a little bit more. And, uh, yeah, it's actually grown pretty good in the last year or so. so well, a year and you're, you're uh, at 8,000 or more now, that's, uh, that's pretty damn impressive. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, you know what? It's, I mean, I think with Instagram you can connect a lot easier with, like, the same, like, the, 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 the right kind of people that like watching a certain amount of stuff and their algorithm, once people respond to it, it really uh, pushes it out. Like I have a couple of videos. One was from last year and it's almost at a million views now. Oh, and then I had yeah. another one I put up and uh, <laughs> you, know, you didn't get to meet Jay. He wasn't at this takeover, right? But uh, it was just a little wheelie mishap and that thing's got, it's just crushing it. Like, uh, I don't know, it's at like 500,000 views now or something like that. Like, it just keeps rolling. So it's something that people like. It just keeps pushing it out, and then that's how you get, you know, you get a little more exposure that way. It's a little bit of luck, really. I found that uh, TikTok really works. The only problem with TikTok, you run into a lot of uh, dicks. But uh, the, the attention span on the new generation, it's not meant for YouTube, I find. Like, YouTube shorts, I'll post like a 30-minute long YouTube video, and I'll get four, five, six hundred views. I post a little YouTube short and it's like 6,000 in an hour. It, it's ridiculous. It's the, the attention span of the younger generation. It's like they can't sit still for 30 minutes and watch a full YouTube video. They need like clip after clip after clip after clip after clip. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a different animal for sure. Um, but I mean, that's the uh, YouTube's really starting to try to get into that market. So they've been doing some different stuff. So I've been I've been putting some shorts out there now, and it's all doing pretty well. 
But actually, one of the coolest thing was I did one, what was it, a few weeks back. And the most insane thing was it had, in one hour, it had like almost 4,500 views in an hour. That was ridiculous. And that was the peak. I mean, I don't know. I think it's got like 5,500. <laughs> but one hour, so that just goes to show you when you hit something that people like and then they keep putting it out there, then people just keep consuming it. And it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's what I found. Uh, the only reason I really started TikTok, I had like 100 followers maybe, and then I posted uh, a wheelie video of me and my wife wheeling after our wedding day with uh, just married on the back of the bike and she was in her wedding dress yeah. and I was in my suit. And then that got like 1.8 million views. And I went from a hundred followers on TikTok to 10,000. And then I was like, okay, I got a following now. I might as well put it to use. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wheelies, wheelies are big. Everyone likes wheelies. <laughs> oh, every, everybody loves a good wheelie. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do for a living there, Don? Uh, for me, nothing exciting. I work for the fire department in, in uh, Kingston, Ontario. So I've been doing that for like almost 20 years now. So it's a pretty good gig. Pretty good gig. You say uh, nothing exciting, but that actually sounds very exciting at times. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, if you watch it on TV, sure. Yeah, they go to like, they go to a, they go in one, sh in one episode of like a, Chicago Fire or yeah. something like that. They like a career's worth of calls in like one freaking episode. But uh, <laughs> no, there's been a lot of interesting things over the years, and you see a lot of different things. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a job. Like I said, I've been doing it for 20 years now, and there's still days where you you know you drive like 15 calls out to the university, and it's just like if we got to go to another call, like I just want to like you know scream. So, I mean, it's just a job, too, but, uh, no, it's pretty awesome. It's a pretty awesome job. I'm, I'm pretty fortunate, and it uh, gives me a lot of time off to uh, go riding and do a lot of other things. Well, that's the thing. As long as you love your job, it doesn't really matter if you shovel uh, cow shit for a living. If you love it, then do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you got to really love doing that. <laughs> I mean, who knows? The shoveling cow shit might lead to something a little better. Like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're a young lad starting out, you gotta, you gotta, you know, build your way up, right? And uh, do some of the Joe jobs and uh, work your way up for sure. Well, I mean, I'm a little higher in the chicken industry, but I still have to shovel chicken shit every now and then to keep myself humble. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Don, how long have you been, like, in the ATVing industry, whether that be YouTube or how long have you owned a bike? Like, when did you really get started in everything? Really? Really, it's pretty, it's pretty much been about five years, I think. I was really big into sliding for a lot of years. Uh, like, years ago, before my kids were born, I have twins, boy and a girl. They're just about 21 now. Um, and I was starting up a, I was starting up a four-wheeler fund, actually. Because I used to go uh, moose hunting with my dad and his buddies. I wanted to save up. But then when the uh, twins came along, that old four-wheeler fun got, uh, was gone. So once they got a little bit older, I kind of got back into sledding. So I grew up in sledding. I grew up in uh, northeastern Ontario. A lot of winter. A lot of hunting winter. Like, if you like the outdoors, man, that's the type of place to be. But I was into sledding. And then uh, we got uh, the kids a couple of old sleds. And then 
excuse me. Um, then we got a what do we got? Oh, it was a Polaris a Polaris ninety two stroke, and that thing ripped, man. That thing was awesome. So as it got bigger, uh, we got a, you know some bigger ATVs, and then uh, then I started using it once and took it hunting one time, and you know took it on a few like poker rides, charity rides with some friends and stuff, and it just kind of evolved into that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I don't have a sled anymore, so that that uh, it's pretty much just an ATV. We just don't get the snow here like we used to. Yeah, it's just like Nova Scotia. We get. Maybe if we're lucky, two weeks of sledding weather a year. And if not, you got to trailer your bike up to – or your sled yeah. up to New Brunswick where there's always snow. Yeah, it's, it's – I mean, ATV is not cheap, but, I mean, sledding is way, way more expensive when you add it up, man. Like, yeah, I heard they like to yeah. really uh, eat the gas, like a lot more than ATVs do. Especially when you're coming onto them, they really eat the gas. Well, you tend to put a lot of, if you're like uh, trailing, if you're trail riding, you know, you're, you're ripping around, you're putting a lot of miles on, you're eating the fuel. If you're doing off trail, you're, you're eating fuel up too. And just the travel and trailering. And I know we all know what the price of gas is going up and up and up and all that stuff. But buying permits and trail passes and everything and hotels, it, it, adds, up, it adds up pretty quick. So I don't know about so, Ontario, I mean, I but, uh, but um, oh, you go ahead, Don. I mean, I miss flooding a little bit, but uh, I, I've been out a little bit um, here and there. But uh, some guys are talking about. Well, the thing too is it, it really comes to ATV, and it really has to do with the group of people that you ride with. You need a good core group that you can go riding with all the time, and that's really key. So when you lose that, then the incentive is, you know, I'll just go riding for myself for the day. You know, loses its luster. It really does. So. Oh, hundred percent. It's like, that's, that's the reason why I like did the Ontario trip and plan on traveling as much as I'm going to, because like just meeting you guys and riding with you guys, like I only did like six or seven skag poles of that whole day. And then the rest was just going to different people who I've looked up to and always see on Instagram and just getting to know them and drinking with them. And like, I was like, Besides marrying my wife and my kid being born, that was probably the best thing that has ever happened in my life was that Skagtober weekend. Well, I mean, it was pretty fun. That, oh, it was, it was awesome. Was a, like, there was a shit ton of people there. And quite honestly, like, I mean, it's fun. Those types of rides, they're really just as much of a social kind of thing. Like, you, you can see what it was like. It was really hard to ride. I hardly rode at all, actually. One, one, because it was so busy. Two, the machine was working really good. I had one really good pull. I, I wish I could have got a copy of that to put on my uh, YouTube video. I sent a message to the person I had. I sent it on, I, I had it on Instagram there. It was pretty good. So I was like, I got nothing else to prove. Like <laughs> One pull, and that. there you go, That's boys. Crazy. That's all you get today. I did my one awesome pull. See ya. <laughs> like, not, like, if anybody gets to know me, like, I'm not arrogant. I, I just out there to have fun. But I've been there where with different tires and clutching or different bikes and you get you get buried and you're struggling and you're trying to get out and you're winching and you're doing this and that. It sucks, man. Or you everyone's gone that you're riding with and then you're trying to catch up and like you're like, I hardly rode today. I was just freaking I'm tired from slugging <laughs> slugging in the wet stuff and, and you just it's no fun. So I mean I had a blast and I got to talk to a lot of people. Got to meet a lot of people. Like every time I go out now, 
it's like I meet new people. Like there was these people from uh, on last Saturday. They're in the parking lot. I was just walking around. They're like, oh, hey. Uh, we, and they're from uh, Gatineau, just the other side of Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, we watch your videos. It's great. And they had pretty thick French accents. And I said hi to them and stuff. And you just run into people. And it's, it's amazing, uh, you know, some of the impact that you have. It's, uh, it's pretty wild. Yeah, that's, that's probably like one of my favorite things. Like, I'm not very well known in Nova Scotia because the bike scene isn't really that big. We have like a few guys with Instagrams down here. But all my following is in Ontario. So it's weird to have random people come up to me and say, oh, I see your bike on Instagram or TikTok all the time. I love it. And they, they just want to get to know you. And it's like, this is really strange to me to be like – have people like want to talk to you like i'm just from a small town where everybody kind of keeps themselves and uh no, that was that was awesome and i'll definitely be back next year just for miss xmrme's chili throwing that yeah, out that was, there <laughs> other than i didn't have any uh beans in it for brandon i don't know how he got <laughs> Well, that was uh, that was pretty nice. Actually. Well, when you're a special guy like Brandon, you really do need some special treatment. Let's be honest here. He, he drives a Polaris. He's not all there. Just leave him alone. He's he's okay. So, what was your first ATV? Was it the Renegade, or did you start out on something smaller? No, no, um... Oh, my first one was a Kodiak 450. We had an older, we had an older Kodiak, um, like a 400 that we had for the kids. And then that's the one I started using a little bit. But I mean, it's pretty capable, but it's not the most comfortable. And then we got the 450. And that was fun. That was nice. That's when I first kind of got riding it a lot more. And that's sort of how I kind of just fell on the, fell into the ATV kind of scene, really. And, uh, yeah, like, the, and, uh, yeah, I just kind of fell into the, like, mud stuff by accident. You know the funny thing? I can tell you a story about that real quick. So I remember I was researching stuff about ATVs and things like that. So this is how YouTube works. I, I, I remember it clear as day. I was renovating the basement, which I'm in right now. We've renovated a couple times. We just had a flood, like, in the spring, so everything's all tore up and stuff, and it's better now, but... I was doing these renovations and because I was searching for like information on like Yamaha's and stuff and I'm working away and the TV's going in the background and it was, a, a, it was either an, some ATV videos or NOS ATV videos and it's one, you'll have to look it up. It's friggin' wicked. I think uh, Keith has it in his intro still. There's this wild cat. It's at the Dungannon mud bog drag. Uh, uh, well, there's a mud drags, but it's a Dungannon uh, ATV ride. Mm. They don't have it anymore. It's too bad. It was awesome. Anyways, this wildcat friggin' launches off this like hill and in this pond, and you hear you hear Joe yelling about it, and Keith, and I was just like kind of caught my attention. So then I started getting these NOS ATVs and ATV videos, and then I started watching some of those. And then Joe, who you got to meet, um, he started with his King Quad, and then so I started watching some of his videos. And then he gets a Renegade, and he stops over at this guy's house. He's like, "Oh, I stopped my buddy Richard's house." And I'm like, Richard, I know that guy. I went, I, I know him. I knew him back in high school. And then finds out, so Richard Sutton, he had, he started an ATV. Uh, he started his YouTube channel about ATVs. Fortunately, he doesn't have it now. He canceled it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Anyways, so I worked with Richard like at a grocery store. This is like freaking 30 years ago. Anyway, so uh, 
you know, I kind of connected with him, reconnected with him again, and and we've been buddies <clears> for <throat> now, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of a really real, really weird kind of connection how that all sort of started, really. And it's really, it's cool hearing stories that are like, I don't want to make you feel old, but that, that far back, because I'm not even three years into it. So when I got into the scene, everybody already had the mud bikes. Like I didn't get to see that older version, like the King Quads and the Hondas and the Kodiaks and stuff like that. When I joined, it was, everybody had Renegades. (laughs) So what made you do the the Renegade 1000? Like, did you, was that like kind of what you seen around your area or what everybody was riding or? Well, you know, okay, that's a good question. Uh, I get, people ask me that quite a bit, like whether it's on, on the social media stuff or whatever. So I had the, I had the Yamaha and then, <laughs> so further on to that story, so Richard, who had his YouTube channel, he had a, I don't know, it was a 2009 Airliner 800, and uh, we went to ride. And so um, Job, Keith, and Colin had this uh, May long, May too far long weekend ride out, out in the same area where we were, and it kind of grew and grew and grew. So we went to it, and it was the first time Richard's going to it. And anyways, there was a whole scenario, and it was I ended up smashing on the back of him. Wrote his bike off and it wrote my bike off. It was, yeah, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. Anyways, it was, uh, what happened was it was all dusty. There's a video. I got, I got a video on my YouTube channel. It was, it was pretty wild. It was all dusty and I couldn't see. And uh, anyways, it was a bad scenario. Luckily, uh, we all walked away and it could have been a lot worse. So, I mean, it was a good eye-opening experience for sure. Mm. Um, so after that, I had to get a new bike. And I ended up getting a, so Richard got a Player Scrambler 1000. And then I ended up getting a player sportsman 850. I had that for two seasons and then the air box leaked on it and I got water in it and killed it. So what I ended up doing was I parted it out. It made the most sense to part it out. And then I had to decide, well, what machine was I going to get? And I mean, it was a big struggle. I went back and forth. I got videos talking about the whole thing and, and it's funny because actually I got a lot of really good feedback on those things because those are things that people talk about, like, well, what bike should I get? and What do you want to do with it? And uh, after I went through it all, like, like the Renegade made the most sense. I mean, there's things I hate about Can-Am and their front, their front diff. I hated it. But when they came out, so what happened? My bike died in, it was December, early December, but, they just come out with a launch in October for the four lock. Mm. So that was always in the back of my mind. And uh, at the time Richard was working, he just started at the uh, Can-Am dealership in Kingston. And uh, so I was talking with him quite a bit about bikes and stuff. And I ended up, the Renegade just made the most sense. And uh, yeah, I'm totally happy. I'm totally happy with it, man, for sure. Did you ever see yourself getting into mudding as much as you have got into mudding? Did like, or did you just see yourself as like going from snowmobiling, riding the trail and hunting and you don't drive your bike faster you're hunting. You're trying to stay quiet. And now it's like a, yeah. you, it's like you did a full 180 and like landed in mudding. <laughs> well, I can tell you that, like the story when I first, when I first kind of got like in the bog for, for mudding was I had my Yamaha. 
did I have different? Yeah, I think I got different tires because so there's the there's the ATV park that's like not far from me here at all. I mean, you can ride the roads and take the trails just to get there. I do it all the time. And there was a ride happening, and I know Richard was at it, and there's some other guys that they're going out. And I'm like, oh, I want to go to this thing. So I got there early, earlier, and before everyone was there, I was riding around. And I've been there a few times, got buried, stuck. So, okay, I need some better tires. And you start, what do you do? You start researching. How can I make the bike more capable, right? Tires and try to do some clutching changes and stuff like that. Anyways, I was driving on the trails, and then I was trying to find the group. And I start coming along, and I could just hear the noise, the noise of the exhaust. And at the one part, one one of the parts of the ATV park, it's a hydro line, so it's wide open. And the echo, it's friggin' insane, man. Like you know what it's like now, but it's like when you've never heard that before, you're coming along and somebody goes hit a mud hole and they're just friggin' pinning it. Mm. It echoes, it's like ridiculous. And I was like, man, and just the smell and like the the mud just friggin' flying everywhere. And the smell of the mud, like, you know, baking on the exhaust and the engine and everything. And I was just like, you know, I rode around with some of the guys. And I was like, man, this is freaking, this is pretty cool. And it just really started a bug right from there. And it was, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. That, that was really what set it up. Set it up set, that's really what set things in motion, man. It so really did. It's like it made you feel 20 years younger sort of thing. Like, you might feel old throughout the work day or when you're home or on the couch but then when you get behind the bars and you're playing in mud it's like that adrenaline kicks in and you feel like you've gone back in time to when you were a teenager well exactly it, it's exhilarating and even just to, to see you know having my wife she ended up getting a bike which uh, that just blew me away like she got it last year but like before that i never would have dreamed that in a million years and i'd have my, my daughter's been out a few times I mean, like the kids have rode our bikes and they've they've had they've been riding for years. Like my young lad, like when he was like ten, man, like he was a freaking he was a good rider. I wish we should have got him into like racing. Really should have. He was good. Um you know, they've been around it, but like taking taking them up mudding and stuff and, and you're like you don't know how they're gonna react to it, right? Yeah. Because you get oh, everything's slippery and there's stuff all over you and, and they got a smile on your face, so it's like, yeah. So uh it's nice to share. Like, it's fun. Well, if you're trail riding, you can hardly really hammer the throttle. And that's the best part of an ATV, especially when I got something that's got some power, when you can just open up the throttle. Now, mud riding most of the time, you're not on the throttle as hard as you can compared to muskeg riding. That's where you really get on the throttle. Yeah, that's when, that's, you, that's when you don't really have the option to let off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, uh, like one of my favorite parts of that whole day was me and you – ripping back to Collins. It was just like pinned going up the dirt road, doing wheelies up the road and just bombing it back. It was, no, I, I yeah. liked that part of, uh, of the whole thing. And I really, I haven't been able to enjoy that that much because I kind of went from my stock mega mayhems on my 650 right to 30 inch assassinators. And from 30 inch assassinators to 32 assassinators on crush locks, I've ran crush locks, nothing but crush locks, for two years, that's mud and trail. Yeah. So, like, luckily, I have a, a set of uh, EFX Moto Slayers on uh, MSA beadlocks coming this week from okay. uh, N2Y Tire. And I am nice. so excited to finally, like, 
be able to just hop on the bike and go for a trail drive and not beat the hell out of my back and just like be able to enjoy the trail again and tweak on the bike and really feel its potential because when you got you know when you got the heaviest mud tire around on it i mean you not so much now because you got them scoop and grooves so you lost a lot of weight but a normal assassinator it really really holds you back i think you really like those tires so even like in my in the last video from last weekend there when we were leaving like you were talking joe was in front of me i mean like i can ride like i can ride like i can trail ride. like joe can really ride like he can rip man but he was ahead of me, and he's on his 30s with no rod relocate. And my rod relocate is like the freaking thing. I'm, I'm trying to fix it all the time. It's rattling. <laughs> 32 assassinators, you can't trail rip like that. Like, he was gone. Like, I know. I can, he was – trying to keep up. There, there's no point. Assassinators – I mean, they ride smooth. But trail riding, they're sketchy, man. <laughs> they're sketchy. Especially once you get on. over – once you get going 90 – on like dirt or pavement it feels like you're kind of just floating right. <laughs> nothing is touching yes. that's a good description it's floating for sure but job left the skag right after i did and the next thing you know he was he was already back to the truck by the time i got going it's like where the hell did he go <laughs> so uh don what's uh What's your like dream build or do you have any plans for your bike coming up or have you kind of hit the limit with it and you're kind of, it's, it's fine the way it is and you're going to leave it. Yeah, really. uh, I was pondering that and there's really not that much I want to do to it. Like, honestly, I mean, maybe customize it a little bit. uh, I don't know. Like I'm pretty much, I'm pretty happy with where it's at. I mean, I'd, I'd like to get, I really like to get a few different sets of tires. I like to get a good set of trail tires, but I still got my Aztecs, and I've had, like, five people ask me what I'm doing with them. I'm not planning on selling them. i got to get a set of rims. Now, they're worn down, but um, but they're fun. The thing with them is, like, they're, they're awesome in the mud, but you can trail rip them. Like, you can friggin' you can rip them as, as, as fast as you want, and they handle pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know when you see those, those bikes and you – I think there's a limit with the size of your tires and how high your ground clearance and how high your center of gravity is. I, I don't know how fun it would be. Like 34s aren't, wouldn't be too bad. But like when people get into those 36s and 40s and they build like a, a bounty hole bike, like I, that doesn't do anything for me. Um, but I mean, for all the riding I do, I think I'm set up pretty good. I am set up pretty good. But I mean, you know, We'll see. Uh, I think I'd rather sink some money into more into my YouTube channel, you know, upgrade like lighting and cameras and things like that. I'd probably do that before I do my bike, but, uh, but who knows? Like maybe you would, uh, I don't have any plans to really physically change anything too much more now. It's, it's, it's pretty good. And I spent a lot of money on friggin' like it's expensive. Man. Add that. But I'll tell you, so I added the STM secondary last year and the stock KM secondary, you put a black violet spring in that, that works really good. Works really good. And it's a lot easier to change a belt than it is with the STM. Oh yeah, my, I don't even get me started on that, man. That, that pisses but, me off so much how they designed that. But I'm telling you, it's worth it when you get in that thick stuff and all you do is you just freaking hold the throttle 
and it slows down and it box shifts and you just freaking pull right through it. It's it's ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous. Especially if you, if you look like the muskeg. Most mud riding, you're probably fine just with the uh, the can am stock one, change the spring. But uh, the big thing with those is they're such a pain in the butt to take on and off. Like yet you you're really supposed to have special tools. And you gotta friggin' get a new nut, and then you gotta tighten it on, and hold it, and clock it. Like most people aren't gonna do that shit. And then you know what happens? You see posts. Someone's friggin' secondary friggin' blue part. Actually, there was two of them the blue part on, on Lingham. On Saturday. Few, few people had problems with their uh, stock secondaries blue part. It's probably because they were. I don't know what. I think those bolts are a one-time use, and they don't really specify that too much. I don't know if the bolts. The, I mean, I've been told different things. It's the it's the stud or it's the nut. One of the nut. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, it's a pain, but you need really you need special tools to do it to do it, and not everyone's going to do that. that. That's how they they want you to get you into the freaking dealership. I think that's part of the reason. I don't. Well, know. That's a lot of things on the bike. They try to make it extra complicated, so you kind of have to either bring it to. A second-hand guy, dealer, a local guy, or you have to bring it directly to the dealer and then pay those nice uh, dealer prices. Yeah, I don't really want to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, I really – I wish STM would uh, kind of take uh, – like that, that clutch spreader, that one bolt for the stock secondary. You just pop it in. You don't have to take out your yeah. actual bolt – the one thing I hate about the STM is you kind of have to hold it in place the whole time while you're changing your belt. Cause if not the grooves in the back of the clutch can come off the grooves on that spline. And then you're sitting yeah. back there like this with a flashlight trying to make sure you got it lined up again. And it's honest, it's a big pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. I don't know. But I mean, the roller clutch is the best way to go. And like roller clutches are big in the snowmobile industry. And I mean, the funny thing is, is that KM, their parent company, BRP, their stock clutching is pretty awesome. So I don't know why they have. Actually, they have started moving it into the side by sides. They started using some of their same clutching. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know why you got thing. You take it apart and it's all in pieces. It doesn't make any sense. Anyways, I don't think like we can do about that. But, but uh, yeah, that, that STM secondary, it does work. It does work well. Oh, I'm, I I made the switch. I had a CV Tech primary, and I went from the stock secondary to the SDM secondary. And I could just – it wasn't even in the mud. It was like I'd be going down doing 50, and then it's like when I hit the throttle, the power was there. You know what I mean? Like it was always there, whereas with the stock one, it kind of had a lag to it, and it would slowly build. Yeah. But then with the STM, you give it the throttle, and it's like it's there. Yeah. Well, I mean, when it comes to clutching, there's so much involved. There's so many fine tweaks you can do. It's uh, it's really an art form to really get into it. But, like, I even noticed that. I remember a number of months ago, my wife and I were out riding, and we were kind of going through this kind of tight tactical section, and I went to try to help her to get through all these trees and stuff. And even just trying to, like, feather the throttle, and the thing didn't want to go. And I was like, all right, you got to stop clutching. But just having a clutch set up right when you can just feather the throttle and, and it, it's, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, the QSC is a 
is a very complicated clutch. I don't know if you have a QSC, but that is a whole different, I mean, there's heel weight and toe weight, and it's just. And a few more. It's pretty similar. It's pretty similar. But, uh, yeah, it's something you got to spend some time on and do some and do some groundwork and, and get some baselines. And then, but the only way to really get your set your clutching set up is you got to really test it in real world conditions to, to really see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole animal. It really is. Or just hit up uh, Project Vengeance or Mudden for Parts. They'll get your QSC uh, set up for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no. Like Dan and Brian yeah. and and, and those guys. Yeah. I, I mean, they put a lot of work into it, and they're all really helpful, a bunch of great guys. And But you still got to figure out for yourself. Um, but, yeah, like it's endless. Those guys are always tweaking. About, yeah, and they make jokes all the time. And, <laughs> and it, it, it's pretty entertaining. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot. If you can put the time in and, and figure some stuff out. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time. When you don't have a setup, you have a setup well, it's no fun. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> have it set up for the trail, and you're trying to go through Muskeg, and the thing keeps dropping RPMs, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot, what I, was, I forgot what I was just about to say there. Uh, yeah, this, when I had a CUE tech, I, I got really into the whole tuning it exactly how I liked it. Like, CV tech was pretty simple. It was a little bit more of a pain in the ass to change the weights, but it was your engagement spring, and then you had, I believe it was five or six uh, little weights, and it was like you were a drug dealer. You would take out the little metal weight, and you would take yeah. your drill bit, and you would drill it, and then you'd set it on the scale. Oh, there's 0.5 of a gram in that weight, and then you do the same in each weight, slap it back in the bike, and usually 0.5 of a gram out of each weight would jump you up 300 RPM. <laughs> It's like you're in the I mean, shop cooking up meth or something. <laughs> Even you just talking about that, I mean, that would be a great one to put on my wife's bike, but it's almost kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if your wife really isn't into mudding and that whole thing and she doesn't get out with you that much, I would just do a Dalton she clutch kit. She doesn't care. Like, she doesn't care to do anything different. And Dalton it's clutch kits are very easy to change, like, it's like a little dial and a little spring and something like it. Oh, yeah. They're very, very simple, and they, they make improvements. So it would be actually be well worth the money for someone who doesn't ride their bike that much but does want that tiny little improvement. All right. Well, I think we've done uh, – kind of hit clutching quite a bit, so we could probably go into something else. <laughs> and uh, just back to your bike there, I feel like you set yourself up really well when you got – a 1000 because a 1000 is plenty of power for anybody <laughs> so yeah. you don't have to go get engine work done or you didn't even really have to do clutching if you didn't really get that into it like you did but you did right so uh i feel like you really well, set yourself up well when you purchased your your bike yeah and again and that goes back to the whole choosing an atv type of thing and now that I understand it, and like I said, people ask me quite regularly, you know, about certain bikes and this and that, blah, blah, blah. But it really boils down to you got to ask yourself this. What do you want to do with it 80% of the time? And that's what you've got to make your decision based around. 
Like, do you want to trail running 80% of the time? Maybe do a little bit of mudding or off trail. Are you, are you working it most of the time? You want to do a little bit of, you know, a little bit of mud and trail type things. But that's where you got to make your bases from and, and go from there. Um, and then, like, so so here's the thing. Between, you know, a 1,000 or an 850, an 850 is freaking great. But then it's the whole Outlander Renegade thing. And I got videos all about that. And that's one of my most popular videos that I've ever done, to be honest with you. Like, that's those are the questions people ask. So you know what? When it comes to buying any vehicle, if you can swing it, get the one that's a little bit that's got a little bit more to offer. One that's going to help you with resale if you don't like it or down the road. It's going to keep the value up. But what's wrong with having a little more power? It really, it really isn't. I think. No, that's definitely what I uh, I preach to people because I I knew nothing about ATVing when I jumped in. I didn't know any of you guys or AT. I didn't know yeah. anybody like. I, I think I watched a little Austin Cruiser and a little ATV on YouTube when I was bored and like bounty hole videos, but I just bought a yeah. 650 and I bought an XMR. I didn't know anything about, I knew that I liked to play in mud because when I was 13 years old, I had a Baja 90 and I was always mudding the thing in a little contain, Canadian tire bike. But so I got a 650 and then like a week later, I'm like, this thing's slow. <laughs> like, can, can I get a refund? <laughs> so I always tell people, even if you think it's too much power for you, just give it a bit. I mean, drive around on the on the the kids key for a bit or the safety key for a bit if you have to. But I promise you, you the power that that bike possesses is going to get old really, really fast if you don't kind of spend a little more and get the the more yeah. better version. Oh, I agree. I agree. But even with the one thousand, um. You know, set up a stock form. It's not, I mean, it's good power, but I mean, it's not, it's not crazy power. It's not scary power for most people, unless it's really too big of a machine for you. And you're like, yeah, that's too much for me. Now, I think that happens rarely, but there's so many people buying an 850 and then they want to upgrade to a 1000 Renegade. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're spending big freaking dollars, it's like, it's tough, man. But really, you got an 850 Outlander, you can take and spend the money on aftermarket parts, clutching, tuning, tires, and that thing will be very, very capable. And you're, you spent this, about the same amount of money as a stock Renegade. Like that's, that's really what it comes down to. But I'll tell you, that 1000 Renegade, it will do more. <laughs> it just does like i've seen how, what they can do and you just sometimes you're like wow like but you don't need it but it's they're fun to have i mean i have two friends that have the newer 850 outlanders and i've i've heard i don't quote me on this but i've heard that the 850 i don't know if it's the way that they're geared but they have more torque than the 1000 outlander does they're a little more. Uh, they're a little more torquey off the off the jump. Oh well, I mean, it all, like if you go stock for stock, the, um, the engine is very similar in size. Uh, you go stock, like off the line, there's very little difference between the eight fifty and the one thousand until you get up to speed. Like you got a little bit of less weight in the eight fifty, 
Well, now here's the funny thing. So I did a video about it and I've done a couple of videos comparing the two. And a couple of years ago, the 850 Outlander and the Renegade 1000 virtually weighed exactly the same amount of weight. Their dry weight was the same with like a, one pound. Now for 2023, they've both of them have lost weight, but it's like maybe 30 pounds less for the Outlander 850 compared to the Renegade. I, I don't know what they did. The so, Outlander is now lighter than the Renegade. A lot later, the 850 the 850 Outlanders is significantly loud. Well, it was a significantly, but it's a good 30 pounds lighter, maybe more. I can't remember other than the Renegade, whereas they were equal. So I, I don't know. I don't know where they lost the weight from. Well, that is crazy That's, because that that was going to be my next bike just for that reason. Like I only bought an Outlander because I thought my wife was going to be coming a lot with like coming out with me a lot. But she's always yeah. home with the kid. It's hard to find a babysitter. So it's just me now. And I feel like for a single person and in the skag and stuff like that, a Renegade is really an all-around better mud bike, in my opinion. I mean, I own an Outlander, so I'm not talking shit about Outlanders. I've owned one and I have one, but I really feel like a Renegade would be way better suited if you're driving by yourself and you're going muddy. It is. And... Now, I've rode with guys that have the 1,000, and a buddy of mine, they're, they're, good, they're buddies of mine that live out of town. Uh, the one guy got the 850, the other guy got the 1,000 Outlanders. And the interesting thing is, the guy with the 1,000, he has smaller tires, and there's some holes where he actually did a lot better than I thought he would. Like, like this is when riding in areas that I know, that I know exactly what's going to happen. I've seen countless as the bikes come through. The longer frames will get hung up when they're trying to crawl out of a hole in a lot of cases. But in different areas, the, the longer wheelbase, you bridge the gap a little bit. But that's only sometimes. That's only sometimes. So, I mean, but it's one of those things. Are you ever going to bring a passenger? If that's, if that's sometimes, you get the 1,000 long frame. They work pretty freaking good. You put a, and like I say, my one buddy, you put a QSC clutch on his friggin' uh, 1000 Outlander. I think friggin' whips, rips wheelies all day long. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's crazy. I just, I just find that there might not be that big of a weight difference. I just find there's such a big difference with the Outlander versus Renegade. Like when I'm out with my friends and they get their Renegade stuck, 99% of the time they can get behind their bike and kind of lift the ass up a little bit and give it some throttle and they can easily get out where as with my bike, you can have two or three people behind it trying to lift that thing and it ain't moving. Well, when it comes to the differences on the two, you will see that the outlander with the bigger fenders, as, as material goes between the tires and you're going at speed, you got a lot of resistance from the fenders on the outlander. Whereas a Renegade, it, it sprays out, sprays on you. But, I mean, you get yourself a good set of uh, waders and some good protection, and it's not a big deal. Um, sure. that, that's trail. another problem. <laughs> and a lot, of people don't, a lot of people don't understand that, try to explain it to them. Uh, but guys that I rode with that have Antlanders, like my buddy Ryan, he's been – I haven't seen his bike in a while, but he's been trimming his fenders right back. And there's a few – you see the serious Outlander rider guys, a lot of them have their friggin' fenders trimmed right back to stop that resistance. And uh, it's a real thing. 
Yeah, I put I, I took my uh, mud flares off, and then I put two inch spacers on it. So I don't know if you really looked at my bike when I was driving yeah, with wide. you, but it's it's fifty six inches wide. So when I throw mud, it lands on me like a renegade. It doesn't really go up in the fenders and get stuck there. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's wide. You can tell. <laughs> got a dump truck on it as we say the younger generation <laughs> uh, i got some questions here don from some viewers uh so this is a question from taylor bonnet i might be saying that wrong oh, yeah. i don't know you mean yeah yeah but uh he, he down the states there yeah so he wants to know what our clutch setups currently are on our bikes <laughs> It's a secret, bud. Can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's got himself a 650. He had a 570, he's got a 650 now. And I know he's been playing with some stuff. Now, here's the interesting thing. Talking about clutch setups. Now, you have a 650, but it's not a 650. Right? Yeah. But the 650, there's an interesting thing. So... um Another guy, he follows my channel. He's got his own YouTube channel. His name's uh, Turkmaster45. And he's got a 650 Renegade. And he's been playing around with clutching. And he went with a full STM setup. Didn't like it. He went back to his CV Tech. So it almost seems like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what his problem was. But uh, as Taylor mentioned, he was he was eager to get his, his uh, clutching on. And he, clutching got to really take your time and play with it um you really don't need a lot of weight on your primary stm you got to match to your tires what do your tires weigh what's the rotating mass you got to match that to your clutching if you got smaller lighter tires you're going to need a little bit more weight i think mine's now i think i'm like with the stm it's like heel weight i got like four one two and the spring i don't like the spring but it works really good in the skeg. It's ridiculous. Excuse me. But uh, for most riding, it's a, the engagement's a little too high. Um, but you just got to keep taking the weight off to sort of balance with the weight of the tires. If you've got lighter tires, you need a little bit more weight. Because if they're too light, then you're just it's just going to ramp up too fast. So I think I'm doing, I'm like, heel weight, I think it's 412 or 422, I can't remember. Somewhere in there. But that made a big difference. It's uh, it's pretty wild. So you're rocking uh, STM primary and secondary? Yeah. And it's a – the secondary has got a gold spring in it, and the Helix is a 35-45. It was supposed to be a 35-40, but I got a 40, 35-45. I don't know. Or 30 I can't remember. Is yours the encapsulated or is it the normal helix? I don't know the difference. I think it's just normal. I don't know what the encapsulated looks like, to tell you the truth. I don't know what it looks I like, but I think the point of it. I didn't really know what people were talking about encapsulated. I, I believe the way I looked at it on the STM YouTube page, I watched a couple of videos on it just to see. So I knew nothing about the STM secondary, so I kind of watched their YouTube videos to kind of see what I needed when it came to the spring, when it came to the helix. And apparently it's, it kind of stops your engine brake. So when you let off the throttle in the mud, 
instead of that engine brake kicking in and trying to dragging you back some, it keeps the tires going. So that way, when you come back onto it, you're still rolling and you don't really have anything holding you back. Because I have the 30, the 35 to 40 encapsulated helix with the gold spring. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't really know what mine is. To tell you the truth. I'll have to do some more research on it. Um, but like when it comes to engine braking, it's also your primary spring too, because the primary spring that I have in mind now, it's, it's affecting my engine braking. Uh, like when I'm driving fast and you let off the throttle, there's hardly any engine braking until you get to a slower RPM than it kicks in compared to the other spring I had before. So it's a little different when you're, when you're like ripping around the trail, you gotta, you gotta just be a little more mindful. I mean, we it could, we could talk about, down. we could talk about clutching all day, but my head yeah. will go <sighs> because it's, there's too much information. We could literally talk about it forever. So we're going to jump to the next question. Uh, this one is also from Taylor Bonnet. Your favorite tire you've ever had on your bike, and why is it your favorite tire? My favorite tire is the Aztecs, 100%. They're friggin' awesome. The only thing that knock on them is if you do a lot of road running like I do, they're a soft compound, so they wear down fast. Um, so I have the 32s, which are basically a 31 true when they're on your on the rims and aired up. Um, you give up a little, you don't have as much ground clearance as a true 32. So if you want to go comparable to a 32 assassinator, you need a 33. Problem is 33, you got to get an 18 inch rim. So you don't have as much sidewall. You don't trail ride as good. You don't have, you know, when you're trail riding or you do a lot of bumps and rocks and bumpy things, low sidewall is not as comfortable for sure. More sidewall, you got a lot more flexibility. That's for sure. But the Aztecs are awesome. And like as like I was saying, I had some comparisons with 32 uh, assassinators, like kind of head to head. And they haven't performed it at, say, like at a controlled environment at the ATV park, a hole that I know. Uh, but it's really only been one bike. I need to do some more comparisons. But I was surprised that the 32 assassinators didn't do that well compared to mine. The Aztecs outperformed Motor Havocs day in, day out. No question. Like, job. Like, uh, I have videos to prove it. Like, it's... The only other difference would be if I took my bike through with my Aztecs and I took the other guy's bike through with the Motor Havocs, which 31 Motor Havocs, they're actually a little bit taller than the, than the Aztecs. That would be the only other the factor to take out of comparison. Everyone said, like, they're a good, they're uh, a quality tire, they're lightweight, and they're cost-effective. That's why a lot of people run them. But they're a digger. That's what I, I, I haven't run them myself, but I run with people that, that, that run them. And, and they like to dig. They like to dig and they like to dig down. So, so the Aztecs, uh, yeah. just to get in my mind here, I think I know the tires you're talking about. Are they like, they have the lugs here, 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 and then they have a line up the middle where there's nothing? No, no. That, you're thinking more like the System 3 yeah. like the XM310s. Those are an excellent mud tire. Problem with those, they don't turn worth a shit. Because they got that channel in the center. Mm. 
And when you turn in slippery material like mud or snow and ice, you freaking turn the handlebars and you go straight, like at slow speeds, especially. Uh, but mud tires, like they, they crawl, they crawl the best out of anything. Like they just, because they got a lot of lugs, they're like an inch and a quarter tall or something like that, inch and a half. Um, they're a soft compound too. Um, no, so the Aztecs, they've kind of got like a scoop design, but most tires have the reverse pattern. Whereas in say a Moto Havoc or a BKT or any of those things, the only ones that really have a forward facing pattern are the Assassinators and the Aztecs. Meaning that when the tire is going forward, the the lugs are, are, are angled forward. So they kind of scoop forward. They got big scoops that are well spaced out, but the Aztecs also have these a bunch of little ridges in between. And then they've also got stuff on the sides. Stuff that on the sides help dig in ruts and things like that. But the Aztecs are, are, are great because they just, they dig really well. They're light. You can just, you can, they, they climb and claw really well. They clean out really well, which is a big thing with a, a, a you know, an off-trail tire. If it's mud or muskeg, they clean out really well. And they're soft, so they're pl they're pliable. Downfall, they wear out fast. And I don't want people to laugh at me, but my favorite tire I've ever had on my bike that I really enjoyed was the Mega Mayhems. <laughs> you know what i don't i love so, them man i love them <laughs> those are on my my wife's uh 570xmr and i rode that thing a few times and i had it out hunting and stuff uh like where i spent like two solid days on it that thing is a freaking ride those tires work really they work really good in the mud they're a little rough on the road but the snow mud like they freaking work really good they really do they're just not, you know, they're just not that tall. And I didn't like even mind them in the, on the trail. I didn't really even mind them. It was the road. The road, they felt rougher than an assassinator for some weird reason, cool. but. Yeah, they're a little, they're not, yeah, you get up to, you just start doing like 75, 80K an hour. And it's, it's, it, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's like someone threw you in a blender. <laughs> yeah, it's getting a little rough. But yeah, no, they trail are really good. And yeah, not like. They're a pretty good stock tire. Same thing as like the cryptids that they put on the Renegades and the 850s. Like they're a freaking good tire. They're just not that tall. And they're Actually, everywhere. They're... I mean, if you want a pair of cryptids, go on Marketplace because people just buy a new bike. They take those right off their yeah. bike, sell them, buy new tires. So if you ever want a set of cryptids for like trail driving or an extra yep. set of tires, go on Marketplace. I promise you there is a shit ton. But I'm really excited to try the Moto Slayers. So I, I talked to Job for a bit, or as some people don't may not know, uh, ATV. Uh, I talked to him a bit at Lingham because I seen he did a review on it, and I, I just really wanted his honest opinion. And he said, "What? A, just like the video said, they're they're awesome tires. They're just they're great yeah. in the trail. They're great in the mud. They're great in the skag, and they don't wear." bad when you're driving it on the trail so i was like all right i'm just gonna do it i was kind of struggling between the 30s and 32s i just decided to go with the 30s because i want to like i've had my new engine for maybe two months i've got two rides on it i really want to yeah. i want to try it with a smaller tire not a heavy 32 assassinator i want to really see what it can do in the trail and like i don't know i you see i 
even if I have a Sassaners, I love doing wheelies. I love doing wheelies. So if, if a smaller tire allows me to do more wheelies, then I'm game. And if it allows me to still play in the mud when I see some mud, even better. Well, uh, Job's a good person to get uh, a review from. He's tried a lot of tires. He's tried out a lot of different ones. Um, but what that tire is, it's kind of like a hybrid off of the XM310s. And with the changes that they have, so it's it's not just the problem with the XM310s is it's just got that channel down the middle. And like I said, when you turn the handlebars, there's no nothing to stop you from sliding. So they, they've got a little bit of an offset pattern. And uh, so that's why they'll work so well. So, yeah, I, I would yeah, I, I would try them out for sure. I would try a set. If someone wants to give me a set, I would. Um, <laughs> one, one day, that is my ultimate dream, is to get big enough that people send me stuff to try out. <laughs> and I don't have to dig in my bank account. <laughs> that's the that's the one that's the only bad thing I'd say. Sorry about this ATV about ATVing is when you get really really into it. I'm not talking you're going out on the trails every now and then doing maintenance on your bike, but when you get really into it, it gets very expensive because <laughs> you oh, always yeah. want to improve, improve, improve. Oh, I seen this guy had this. I really want that too. How much is it? Holy shit. <laughs> but you end up buying it anyways because you want it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's up quick, man. For sure. But if anybody well, wants to save some money, uh, just uh, give Max at Life Outdoors a call and uh, best prices online. Guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty good to deal with and, and they, they keep pretty good stock stuff. They're pretty good, as best they can. So, yeah, they're a pretty good spot to deal with, but uh, that's for sure. And uh, a couple more questions here for you, Don. Uh, this is from Mike Dakin or Dakin. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. What kind of riding do you enjoy most? Do you enjoy just going out on the trail with your wife or ripping around on the trails, or are you more of a just go hit the mud and all day type of dude? Uh, okay, what type do I like? I would have to – I mean, I like it all. But I think what's actually my favorite thing to do is I like taking people that have never been to the to the ATV park that's by my house. I like my favorite thing is taking people there for the first time. That's my ultimate favorite thing because a lot of the, maybe they've done some sort of mud riding or they've done a lot of mud riding or they've seen the videos and they're going to try it out and and. I love taking people there for the first time. Like that's my favorite thing, and it's happened countless times. And it's that classic thing where people start getting in. They buy an ATV, like you said. Well, I bought a 650 XMR because that's kind of what other people are. Well, everyone's buying. You know, they've got some you know smaller displacement bikes, and then the the terrain that you ride in. Okay, well, I, I'm getting stuck all the time just driving on the trail. I need bigger tires or whatnot just because of the regular terrain that's out there. And it just becomes a, it's a cyclical thing. I need to, I need to change my machine because I can't, I can't drive it. Or then you go out with some other buddies and you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. But I can't do it. I can't do half the stuff. So then you want to make a change, right? But just taking people to the ATV park for the first time, um, it's, it, I really enjoy it. Like, uh, I really enjoy it. It's, that's my favorite thing. But I mean, I love hitting the mud. I love trail ripping. Um, I love it. The muskeg. I, I love it all. Sometimes it's like just going out for a tour. I do that all the time. 
Actually, I haven't been doing it lately, but uh, hopefully I have to do that soon. But yeah, just 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 get on your machine and go for a rip. That's that's the best part. So this this park you keep talking about, there's an actual yeah. mud park. Well, it's kind of a nickname. So what what it is actually is so where I live, I'm in, I live out in farm country, um, but there's actually it's a unique. It's a piece of crown land. So where we were riding at Skagtober, most of that is all crown land. And it's pretty pretty unique to have it in, you know, south of the, you know, as south as it is, kind of surrounded by private property. So I, I don't know how it became to be, but it's an area of crown land. And um, one of the local ATV clubs did a lot of work with to it a number of years ago to, to organize, kind of cut some trails and things like that but it's kind of like you can go hunting on it you can do like people do deer hunting and stuff like and you know whatever but it's just become a place that because there's a lot of clay and the amount of rain we get and the way the terrain is that you know everything just gets dug out so it's been really nicknamed an atv park but that's not really what it is but we're also fortunate like there's two minutes so it's in uh greater napanee is what it's called and I live in the town it's called Loyalist Township, which is right there bordering. So kind of the property's half in Napanee and half of it's uh, in Loyalist. But Loyalist, like we're a small municipality, but we've got a lot of unopened road allowances and those are those are trails that we can use. We, some of them will be snowmobiling in the winter, but a lot of them are just open. Um, so you can kind of tour you can tour all over the place really. Gotta do a little road running here and there, but not too bad. So how far would that be from Lingham, where we rode on Saturday? She'd be about 45 minutes south. So is south towards Nova Scotia or away from Nova Scotia? <laughs> oh, oh, towards Lake Ontario. <laughs> Nova Scotia is east of here, man. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just wondering, would it be a farther drive for me to come experience that? Because it sounds like a hell of a time. So I'm, just, I'm trying to plan trips in my head here. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like, it's like on the way. Um, like, so if you were to come... If you took the 401 all the way, instead of going up towards Ottawa, I don't know why you guys ended up towards Ottawa. I have no idea. But anyways, <laughs> um, but you just come, basically you come straight to Napanee and then Highway 41, that, that takes you right up to Northbrook. Like that's where we were riding. Well, it's just, it's just from there. Like it's just south of the 401. So it's just like 10 minutes away from there. Um, yeah, no, it's not like if you were coming for like a few days, that that's the type of thing we can definitely uh definitely do a ride there. It really depends on the time of year. Like last summer, that thing was that last spring, summer, fall was awesome. This year we had a bit of a more of a drought. It things dried right up. It's not that great there right now. It's not bad. I'm I'm gonna try to get a ride going maybe next weekend or the weekend after. Um but uh, just some of it gets dried up and then it gets all thick and you can't really ride it. But there's still parts you can't. I got. I know a few places. Yeah, because I'm. I'm. Me and Dilly are planning on coming up in the summer next year, uh, either for another Lingham run. Am I saying it right? I keep saying Lingham. Lingham. Gotta say it quicker. Lingham. 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 You happy now, Chris? You can go to bed happy. Yeah, so uh, we were planning on coming up in the summertime sometime after May because we're going to Saskatchewan in yeah. May. So uh, May, April, May, 
like July, July, August is when we were kind of thinking of coming back to Ontario. So this place you're talking about kind of sounds like our cup of tea. And then we get the South of Six crew and Colin, Brandon, well, maybe Brandon. We'll talk about it in private. He's watching, so. But, uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be something that I'd really be into, not just another another skag ride. I mean, we want to come down for a long weekend or something so we can leave on a Thursday, come home on a Tuesday type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we can actually have more than one day of riding. <clears throat> oh yeah, it makes it it makes it worth its while. You can do a couple of days riding, and the thing is, with that place, about four hours, you can have your fill. That's a lot. <laughs> so it's it's not that big a place, like to for the amount of holes that there are there, uh, things to hit. So, but it's um, yeah, hard to say. Usually, usually it's pretty safe by like June. Um, it's every year is different with the amount of rain. Um, but if, but for the skeg fields where we were, you know, generally they're pretty wet in the spring. So later in the year is generally better, but every year is different. So, yeah. All right, let's, go, let's go on to the next questions here, Don. Uh, okay. Thoughts on loud exhausts? Loud exhaust. Well, I mean, me and you were talking at uh, – at Lingham, and uh, somebody went by us with a fucking Empire megaphone on. Uh, I felt I my see. ear pop and ring. That's like we had to turn uh, away like this. That's how loud it was. Like some exhausts are a bit much. Yeah, I mean, I like something that sounds good, but something obnoxious that just gets a bit much. I mean, I, I mean, I like something that's got a nice sound to it, but especially when you're riding all day. You know, you end up with a friggin' headache and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, things that sound cool are great, but for me, I don't like it too loud. But, I mean, I appreciate it if it sounds cool. But if you go, when you're riding it all day, man, I used to get headaches with my old RJWC on my, uh, my Polaris. Because yeah, I had an Empire megaphone once because oh, I, really? thought, I thought that I liked really loud things. <laughs> I had it on my bike for one day. My wife was sitting behind me because I had a back seat at the time. We couldn't even talk yeah. to each other. And by the end of the day, it felt like my head had a heartbeat. Like, it was, it was just I sold it the next day. <laughs> it was, I was like, <laughs> no, I'd rather put on the stock sewing machine exhaust than have to deal yeah. with that thing in your ear. Just You couldn't even idle without it hurting your ears. Like, I tried to slow down to talk yeah. to the wife. No, not happening. <laughs> No, I'm not doing that. But I mean, hey, if your wife really annoys you, get the Empire yeah. megaphone. <laughs> All right, hey, uh, just hang on to the next question. I just gotta, I gotta run it real quick. So you nope. get the next question. Yeah, I'll be right back. Yep, I'll, hey. uh, I'll keep uh, all these guys busy. Oh yeah, Chris and Brandon. Now you're quiet when Dawn leaves. Brandon, I'm surprised you stayed in Watchbud. Last podcast, you hopped on for one second and then you dipped. <laughs> Is Brandon still here? Or did he break his Polaris again? He's probably putting that bumper back on. Oops. 
Saskatchewan. I plan on going. Uh, I got an invite from Austin Cruiser, so we're heading up there for their May long skag ride. Uh, yeah, forty eight hour drive for me and Dilly. But uh, if you have an ATV, you probably know who Austin Cruiser is. So that'll be uh, that'll be something that's worth the trip. As long as Brandon's not there, I can't even deal with him in the fucking comments right now. <laughs> He can take the heat. He knows how much I love that Polaris. Takes a special kind of person to make a Polaris look good. Go in the message box here, you guys. If you have any questions for Don when he's done... Uh, Put him in the questions, and I'll ask him some more questions. I actually only got, like, three left to ask him from viewers. So if you guys got any questions, just throw them in the old comment box. Oh, I'm getting too old to sit on a wooden chair for this long. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Chris gave me herpes. Okay, I'm back. Perfect. Uh, so that was it for that. You already answered a question uh, about someone asked. I guess, no. Assassinators or Aztecs? That question's from Travis Bailey. What would you prefer? If you only could choose one tire, oh, would it be um, Assassinators or Aztecs? <laughs> he was asked. He was asking them before. Skeg riding? Can't be Assassinators. You can't. I'm sorry. Um... If you're if you're gonna do for mud, I think Aztecs are the way to go for mud, for sure. You need two sets of tires. Like if you're gonna do some muskeg like once or twice a year, the Aztecs will do pretty good. It really depends on the day and what the conditions are like. Because when my Aztecs were new, when I first had my uh, STM clutch on, very first keg ride I did, I freaking ripped up and down every field, no problem, except for where it was like bad but uh as they wore down playing with clutching changes and stuff like that they didn't perform as good like i said earlier it's no fun you're getting stuck you're winching stuck winching stuck winching um yeah the assassinators are I, I don't think i don't think they're that great in real mud i don't know now with the scut with them uh, cut and grooved it's going to help but you still got to be careful when you're applying power to them, because I broke an axle, it was my own fault. I wasn't really thinking. If it was the Aztecs, I probably wouldn't have broke the axle when I was doing it. But I, I was in a, I was uh, I was in a winching situation. And uh, I seen that video. Yeah, I seen. Yeah. I mean, is it a hole? I've been in. I know the hole. I've done it. It's so thick. There's so much material. Like that. That assassin tire is going to get bound up with that much mud. And when you give it the gas, and I had the, the front diff locked as well. Oh, hey, oh, someone's just getting something out of the freezer. Um, when, you know, had it, I had the front diff still unlocked, and I forgot to take it off. And it just freaking, something's got to give. Something's got to give. So, but, uh, muskeg, sausage. Yeah, I learned that very quickly because my bike, <clears throat> is the very bone stock version 
I mean, I have the the straight shocks, no podiums. I don't have. I can't see my engine temp rising. It just engine light if it gets too hot. I don't have eco mode, sport mode, diff lock. I had Visco lock, so I just I slapped a Torque Masters diff locker in it, just so when you put it in four, they lock all the time. And I really learned quick. You have to be smart with it, especially yeah. with assassinators, because it doesn't matter what those tires hit. It's not like a Visco lock; it'll it'll let off and it'll just spin that one other tire. If it hits something, guess what? It's pulling, <laughs> and it's going to snap yeah. something. Dude, I, uh, so I actually I snapped something in the last hole of the day. I was like, it's my last yeah. No, go ahead, Don. No, I remember you saying that. Um, but, yeah, see, that's the thing. I mean, I used to really hate the Visco lock before I had a Can-Am, and there's so many times where you see that it, it fails. The big thing is once it starts to wear out, when it starts to wear out, it's – sucks you got to replace it or put a torque lock or a locker type of thing in it um but when you're at high speeds and ripping and then you slow down it's actually a good thing so then that one tire gets sort of bound it slows down so it becomes unlocked it actually then it then it well it's a limited slip then right but the problem is when you want to try to get going again and you need both tires to spin that's when the when that lock helps. But like you said, if you're stopped and you're in some thick material, when it's locked together, something's got to get. Yeah, that's what I that's why I, I went with the locker uh, down my way. We don't have any skag really; it's all protected land, so DNR will yeah, get on you. So uh, all of our holes are really dug out. So I found whenever I was trying to crawl out of a hole. One tire would be kind of in the air spinning, and then the other tire would be on the ground not moving, and I really needed that tire to spin in order to pull yeah. me out. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of why I went uh, I went that route. But, yeah, last pull of the day in uh, Lingham, I was like, it's my last pull of the whole day. I'm going to go out with a bang. So I just pinned it, sent it from one side of the roadway, into the skag and then I got stuck and then I just let it bang off limiter and then axle went boom and I said I, I did it on purpose I mean it's not like it happened to me in the middle of the day and I was like oh there goes my whole day it was like last pull of the day I'm gonna break something right now I know I'm gonna do it so I just bah, 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 bah. <laughs> well, uh, last thing as long as you're okay with that you're like yeah like I said when I broke the one I was like yeah I did that. I, yeah, I know why it happened. And yeah, you learn, you learn from those mistakes. Like I haven't, if I don't want to snap an axle, I won't snap an axle, but there's some situations where it's kind of like you need to, it's good content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the monetary value adds up. <laughs> yeah. It kind of gets old after a while coming out of your paycheck. But, uh, this question's from uh King James ATV. Don, how okay. old were you when you first started riding? Like the first time you sat your butt on an ATV, what was your age? I was pretty old. <clears throat> the very first time I got on an ATV would have been like three wheelers back in the 80s. I never had one. I had a dirt bike, but I probably would have been about 12 or 13. And the first time, so my first time with an AT was a th actually a three wheeler, an ATC. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then uh, one of my dad's, one of my dad's buddies that he used to go hunting with, he, you know, as soon as the, the Honda Fortrax came out, I think this was an 86. I'm not sure what year. I have to double check that. But I think he had an 86. 86 or 87. So they were riding that. Got to turn on that. So that, that was the first time I got an ATV. So that's quite a few years ago. And I don't know if that, I don't know if these questions are for just you or me too. I'm kind of the host, so I don't know if these questions involve me, but I was uh, 13, Baja 90 from Canadian Tire, grading present for my dad, came home last day of school with my report card, little blue Raptor looking thing on the back of his truck, shit my pants, crashed it the next week. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> my sister was uh, out with her friend on my dad's uh, Polaris. It was like a 500 or something like that. Uh, she tried to get away from me because I was her younger brother. She didn't want to hang out with me. Yeah. Yeah. So then she sped away from me, went around a corner and parked the bike. So I came ripping around the corner. It was a blind corner, drifted the corner. And then all I see is the back of dad's bike. Boom, right in the back of dad's bike. I fly off. Helmet goes flying off. I got a massive gash in my leg. I still have a massive scar on my leg. And uh, if I, I can stab it with a pen, and don't feel nothing. But wrote my bike off, wrote dad's bike off. And we never, he has never drove an ATV since I rode his bike off. He was really? kind of every, like, I think the reason why I really got into biking was I remember as a kid, my grandmother would always watch us and they would always go out in New Brunswick. It's just hydro lines everywhere. And hydro lines is a lot of mud. So they'd go out drinking every weekend with their friends on their ATVs. And I just remember our grandmother always watching us and them coming home, giggling, laughing, all covered in mud. And I don't know. It's just, uh, I think that's a really big reason why I got into it. Just watching them kind of do it well into their thirties. And yeah, but so actually I got back into it when I was 23 years old. So almost yeah, about three years ago, and uh, I don't regret it. I love it. <laughs> and I have a question from someone from the South of Six crew. I won't name any names, but Don, if you had to choose, would you choose a cold Dr. Pepper or a cold beer? Oh, cold beer. I don't like Dr. Pepper that much. Yeah, Dr. Pepper's kind of for pussies, isn't it? You can be on <laughs> Don, you can be honest. This is... This is no, going on. No, this is going on Spotify. They they do not they do not discriminate or anything. For me, it's never been a big thing for me. Maybe I'd have one once every couple of years. But uh, yeah, cold beer. I mean, my go-to for sure. Yeah, cold beer. Well, well men drink cold beer. Uh, BVSs drink uh, Dr Pepper. And not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> But uh, I'll be honest, I ran out of Pepsi. Uh, it was Friday night. I was At the end of the night, I was doing uh, Jack Daniels and Pepsi, and I uh, ran out, and I actually put Jack, and Brandon was kind enough to loan me one of his nine cases of Dr. Pepper he brought with him. Yeah. And uh, it actually tasted pretty good with Jack Daniels, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> hey, you know, you got to try stuff. You never know. Even if it's like a different brand ATV. Yeah, well, you gotta try it. You never know. You don't know until you try it, right? Brandon, I'm not trying hard. I'm gonna take you out for a nice movie date, dinner date, get to know you a little bit, and all right, just calm down over there, bud. But uh, Don, <laughs> this is another question. Uh, 
I believe this is also from Mike Dakin or Dakin, like I said before. I don't know. How many cans of water did you drink at Skagtober? How many cans of water? Water. I, brought, I got water. <laughs> I have two of them. Yeah. A couple of waters. Gatorade. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of beers. I have a lot more beers after, though. Definitely. I found uh, Friday night was. Oh, and. Uh, Going to do a little promotion here. Uh, part one of my uh, crazy Skagtober road trip is now live on my YouTube channel at 902 Green Monster. But uh, Friday night was really the night where you kind of went all out and uh, had a lot of cans of water. But uh, Saturday was pretty chill. It was, uh, I don't know how late you guys stayed up. I think I took off around midnight, 1230, I think is when I, I took off and went back to the hotel. <laughs> Uh, it was it was pushing two o'clock. Yeah, we shot her in half. It was late late enough. Well, especially when there, I was up probably. I was probably up at like six. I think the night before did I work? I think I think what my work schedule. I think uh, even the night before though, I didn't have. I didn't. I was a little short on sleep the night before that, so I was feeling it. Uh, but yeah, like uh, it's funny. Yeah, there's been a few rides. And when I show up at Collins Saturday morning, and I usually get there, if I'm going there, I get there pretty early, and this is the way I am. I want to get going and get set up, and it takes me a while to get all my crap set up, and cameras and all that crap, and so I like to get there early. And then he see him, he's like, oh, I'm, last night. I'm too late. I don't know why I do that. I go, you said that last time. He goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> I think it was, it was like 2 in the morning. And uh, Colin was like, I don't know why I do this. So now it's, <laughs> instead of 10, 10.30, we're going to kind of go 10.30-ish tomorrow before I left. And I was like, all right, I guess we're meeting at the Petro at 10.30-ish. Well, that's, that's the funny part. When he when he puts that out there, meeting at 10, right? And everyone that knows that's like a regular kind of crew rider, you're like, yeah, okay. 10 o'clock? Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, nope. uh, yeah. <laughs> Colin doesn't have his head out of the bucket by 10 o'clock. <laughs> you got to give him a little more time. Well, he's pretty. He, he'll always show up. But no, they're they're great. They're great hosts. And uh, it, it's it's nice. Now that he's got his garage there set up, it's, uh, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's a nice setup. No, I wish you were there uh, Friday night. Social gathering place. I wish you were there Friday night because uh, I thought there was only going to be like 10, maybe 15 people come. Like, I I just thought it was like the South of Six crew and, and all those guys that On I Friday knew. night? No, uh, Friday night. Yeah. Yeah, but like just for the local people, my guys, people just might just show up. and just I, know, I didn't know there was that many locals. I mean, I was sitting by oh, the yeah. fire and then I came back out to the shop and it was – like, where the hell did all these people come from? The garage was packed, and outside the garage was packed. There must have been almost 50 people there. I was like, all right. <laughs> this party just got a little different. <laughs> got real. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine, yeah. And, and Chris was just sitting around taking photos because he doesn't really ride his bike. So, uh But, uh, Don, if you had any advice to give to someone who was starting their – 
a YouTube page, like say someone just started out and they wanted to get into YouTube, what is some advice you would give to a young kid who just wants to start a YouTube page and doesn't know really what to do? Okay. Well, so YouTube's hard. I think the thing you got to ask yourself is this. What do you want to get out of it? Do you just want to have fun with it and have some videos or some 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 um, video content that documents what you and your buddies did, which is awesome. That's why it's such a great platform. You can so even if you just you know record stuff that you do, it's neat to go back and actually see it after and you're like, oh yeah, that was neat. Remember when you did that and stuff. So there's that. But if you want to try to make it as a creator, as a content creator. And you want to do that to, to or like as a job or, an, or to earn income, or if you want to maybe like that's something that you want to you want to uh, strive for as a career. There's a lot of things you got to learn, and you can learn a lot from YouTube. There's a lot of uh, a lot of good things, but the big thing is is you need to understand what people want to watch, and that's what YouTube's all about. But if you're an if you're doing around ATVing or the outdoors, uh, like power sports equipment. It's a little, it's a little, little thing in the YouTube world. Tiny, 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 tiny. Um, there's a whole lot of, YouTube's huge, used by billions of people every day. Um, but starting out, you've got to make a video that other people want to watch. And, um, the way YouTube works is I, I consume a lot of YouTube as well. So I will get, you will get shown content from small creators, big creators, creators that you don't normally watch, but they try to give you some similar content that they think you want to watch. Cause that's their whole, that's the whole goal is to keep you watching stuff. And I will see stuff from people. And in the first like 30 seconds, it's like, why would I want to watch this? So when you make a video, You've got to make it for people, not for you. Unless you just want to make videos that you want to watch for yourself and your friends. Then, you know, but I, uh, I mean, that's, I guess that's the advice. It's, it's hard. It's not easy, man. It's hard. But ATV is just such a small, small niche in YouTube. So, I mean, there's some creators that get a lot of views and I don't know why, because their content sucks. But if the people watch it, they're making it for the certain audience, and that certain certain audience watches it, then YouTube likes it, and they'll keep showing it out to that audience. But there's audiences that are already out there, so you've got to figure out what it is that they want to watch. I guess that's that's the best way I can put it. It's uh, it's it's a tricky thing. It's a grind. It's a long haul thing. Yeah, I found YouTube. YouTube is definitely. Shout out to you for doing so well on it because out of all the social medias, I believe YouTube is definitely the hardest to gain a subscriber on it. And that's the one good sure. thing about YouTube. When you get a subscriber on YouTube, it's someone who's actually willing to take the time out of their day and actually sit in front of the TV and watch you. Focus on you for however long your video is. But the interesting thing is, it's like, well, why do you want to make you, why do you want to put videos on YouTube? Why do you want to do that? 
or if someone asks you, well, what's your channel about? Well, why should I, or what's it about? You should be able to tell them like that. And if you can't, you need to figure that out for, you need to figure that out. My, really my favorite thing about YouTube and kind of why I started this podcast is I feel like on YouTube, you can kind of let people know who you are. Like I don't do just uh mudding clips or mud hole after mud. Like I, I do like more of a vlogging style. I like to show people my life and, you know, getting to the ride and after the ride and like talking to you, keeping you invested the whole time. Like I want people to get to know me because I'm more than just a bike. And that's the whole point of this podcast. I want people to know the person that is riding the bike, not just the person that's posting pictures of the bike, but the actual person behind the bars who is the one making all this content for you. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's what it really boils down to uh, creating a, a following or people that, you know, it's creating a bit of a trust with the people that watch your videos. And I mean, like I alluded to earlier, if you wanted to start a YouTube channel, there's a lot of really good things on YouTube. There's a whole community and an audience of uh, creators that, you know, how to start a YouTube channel and how to, how to grow it and all types of things. There's a lot of good stuff out there. But there's so many things that don't apply to our ATVing outdoor power sports as much. It's a little harder. I need to think, well, how does that apply, how apply to me? But over time it does and you do have an impact and a lot of my videos that i've made my most popular watched ones are review or comparison type videos and i still you know people have come to me and they say a comment and it's like i chose this video i you know i chose my atv based on some of the things that you said like it's like well you really can have an impact on connecting with people like an audience and it's, it's pretty wild like it really really is like you said you could just put clips up of people doing wheelies and jumping into mud holes and you just do a whole bunch of that and that's great there's no uh why do i want to come back to that it was exciting it was cool but i can find that somewhere else yeah and me and my me and my friend were talking about actually the same thing that you just said that you kind of the best videos that you can post a little tip for people starting out is like review videos, installation videos. Those are videos that are going to keep bringing you in views when people are looking to buy that product or looking to install that product. Whereas if you spend hours making a mudding video, that's good for a one-time use from one person, and then it's kind of disappears off into the metaverse type thing. But if you make an installation video or review video, you're always going to have people that are coming back to it because they're typing in like uh, ATV is term as a EFX Moto Slayer review. I watched that because I was Googling EFX Moto Slayers and trying to figure out if it was yeah. a good tire. And he popped up. I'm like, oh, it's, it's Job. I'm going to watch this because I know him. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that, that kind of alludes to the whole, there's different types of traffic you can have on YouTube and there's search based, which would be informational, educational, and then your more entertainment style. Um, so you're, you're, if you're st actually, that really alludes to the, if you're starting out, if you're starting out on YouTube, you uh, probably a better way to do is to focus on some search based things. 
if you try to do like so and i don't like this youtuber but i'll just mention like a guy like Braden price that's who i was alluding to his videos are like i hate i can't stand them but i'll watch some of them to see what he's doing right he and, gets you hooked you know, on that clickbait and that i talk too loud on the microphone there's all these rules he's breaking but once you get <clears throat> a follow it doesn't matter the people will just keep watching right but you know, if you try to make a video and try to copy what he does and you don't know how to do it, you're not going to, you're going to get like six views, you know, but if you get something that's like, you know, in the type of ATV that you're buying or you're something focus specific, you focus on something specific that are, and people are always, like you said, people are searching for it and they're looking for it. And that's how you get a bit of traction. But how YouTube works is, there's a scale and it's still based around subscribers. It doesn't mean you can be brand new and if you have the right video, it could it could get a lot of views. Doesn't mean your next video is gonna get a lot of views, but it, it can. But there's a status of stepping, and that's the hardest part to get up and up and up. And that's what the subscribers mean. It's the size of your channel and your clout. That's really what all, it's all about. So it's it's a grind that way. But, but that's the, is to be specific on the things you're making. Because a lot of my videos that started, I mean, when I got into it, like really my first year and a half, two years, I had no idea what I was doing. I really had no idea. I made a lot of mistakes. Mm. And you need to focus on one thing. Like one, the, the term's niche. Like ATVing. You can't do ATVing and snowmobiling it doesn't work and hunting it doesn't work you got to pick one or the other because people that do atving maybe in canada a lot of people do atving and then they do snowmobiling in the wintertime but canada is only a small market in the all of youtube a lot of the states they don't have well, a lot of them don't have snowmobiles you know for down south right so it is so if you post videos about atving a whole bunch and i do some mud and stuff and all of a sudden it's the wintertime you do a snowmobile bill sorry snowmobiling videos the people down in Alabama, Florida, are like, <laughs> "The fuck is that thing?" <laughs> I'll watch this. So if people stop watching your videos that were watching it, you're running into problems. So that's the whole YouTube, and the it just goes, you know, doesn't know what to do. So I'm telling you right now, Don, YouTube is about to take a very big change. Uh, I was watching some videos uh, earlier this week. Uh, Mr. Beast was talking. I don't know if you know who Mr. Beast is. He's one of the most famous YouTubers, but they're actually coming out with, uh, so shorts are going to kind of be completely separate. So you yeah, know how, yeah. Oh, they are. So when you post a short, it doesn't show up on your, your actual feed, your video feed. No, it's a separate, it's a separate shorts. So, so I'm telling yeah. you, use shorts, like, Hammer shorts, like we oh. the regular. Thing. Oh, 100%. Like, whenever I make a video, there's a short that relates, like my Lingham video I just came out with. I'm yes. gonna, I posted a new video now live. So, when people see that short, they might, a few of those people might be interested enough in that short that they kind of go over to that video. Yeah. So, just to touch on that, so what they've done is when they first kind of started and integrated it, it was completely separate. Shorts was one thing and long form content was separate. They didn't, the algorithms didn't talk to each other. There was no connection. That has changed now. So if you do a short, 
what's happening is of my shorts that I've done, I mean, I don't know, I have 10, 12 maybe over the last six months. The last six, four out of six have done very, very well. And what, what it does is the amount of views you get out of it, the percentage of, of new subscribers you get is way higher than a long, long form video. But what they're doing now is the two algorithms talk to each other. So if someone finds your channel on a short and likes it and watches one or two of them, it will then suggest your long-term, long-form videos as well, or back and forth. So that's that's what they're doing. So that's it's going to help create. And that goes right back to what I said about the sh the shorts t attention span <laughs> with the newer generation. They they Thanks. love they love the little clips, and if they like your little clips enough that you can actually set them down long enough to watch one of your full videos. It's yeah, it's going to be great for, like you said, the content creators, I believe, yeah. but it also, and, it might push out some people who don't, who don't really want to do that. The shorts, you know what I mean? Like that are the, maybe the older generation, but you're actually adapting to the change. And I believe it's going to be great for you as well. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's another way. Like, so, I mean, they're adding monetization to it. They're changing it. I'm not expecting to get anything out of that. But if it adds ex more exposure to the to you as a channel, then it's still going to help you. And and you take a short and you take a short from the video that you've already done. It doesn't take any extra work. Like why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's it make it makes complete sense. Like why wouldn't you? Like it's no it's like couple of ones I've done, like literally, literally took me like a minute. So I already had it all edited and just took it out, put it in another timeline and reformatted it. And then there you go. And sometimes they, they go, sometimes they don't, but you're not investing a lot of time in it. So why not? Oh, and a hundred percent. Like, I mean, you know how long it takes to edit, say a 30 minute video, but if you can get, sorry, the same amount of views or more from a short that takes you five minutes to make i mean i believe i believe youtube is really gonna shift kind of to like a tiktok type thing where it's mostly reels getting the views and then the kind of longer versions are pushed to the side i hope that doesn't happen because honestly one of my favorite things is coming home after work i don't watch tv i literally throw on youtube throw on adventures this way throw on mud and for parts throw on project vengeance throw on atv Austin cruiser that is like what I do every day after work. I just throw on one of your guys' videos and even if it's just background noise when I'm cleaning the kitchen or feeding the kid or bathing the kid, it's just, it's still I can I can kinda see what's going on. Not just like a thirty second clip and then it switches and a thirty second clip and it switches and a thirty second clip and it switches. <laughs> Yeah, it's a whole different dynamic. Uh, I, yeah, that's for sure. It's gonna take a little bit of a adapting to get used to, but yeah, I really think it's gonna be better for the better for the community. But since we're talking about YouTube, Don, if mm -hmm. if someone is gonna start an Instagram page, because honestly, Instagram that's kind of like the first thing people do when they get a bike is they make a separate account just for their machine and they have a name for their machine. You know what I mean? So, what is advice that you would give to someone? who is starting an Instagram page and wants to kind of start it off on the right foot and gain a big following right off the bat. Okay. Um, 
Well, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because I've had a couple a couple of young lads uh, mention something to me about, well, can you share my this or that? I'm like, I just do whatever I do and I treat everyone the same. If I got something cool, I'll just, I'll share it. I'll put a clip up, whatever. Like, the thing is, you just got to kind of, uh, you got to kind of grind a bit to just get that first kind of like thousand followers, I think. And then, you know, you, you gain a little bit and then, but you guys got to, you got to put stuff out regular. And then depending on what people like, just keep doing the same thing and change it up a little bit, but you got to keep posting regularly. Like I had one, one guy that was asking me some stuff and it's just like, well, yeah, I got a thousand, a thousand followers now. I'm like, well, that's great. Well, cause I, I didn't do anything different. I had a thousand followers, I think maybe for so, I think it was like a year or so ago. And then now I got like eight. I, I don't know. I just put a little more work and do it. You just got to keep doing something regular. As soon as something hits, then just do the same thing, you know, or kind of repeat it. You know, I don't know. But I, I don't use it. I, I don't really – I just use it to really talk to, and talk to my my riding friends that I've met and I've met some more people through Instagram um, with similar interests. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You got to be consistent and just keep, keep writing the posts. You don't want to go too crazy. But you just want to go on this right of the pace and see what works. Not everything's going to catch, but uh, you know, try something different. I mean, do you want to be the same as everybody else all the time? What's now, talking about you? If I, if I had advice to give to someone, it would be, like you said, stay persistent. I was almost mm-hmm. at 1,000 followers last year right before winter. I broke my bike in my last run of August, and then I kind of – I was like, oh, it's going to start to get cold out soon. I'm just going to – I'll fix it next summer. And I didn't post for like six months or seven months. I dropped back down. I dropped back down to 500 followers pretty quick and lost a lot of – you know what I mean? Like it was – and it was not good for my mental health either. I was in a little bit of a slump there when you all you do is come home and – hang out with the wife and kid and watch TV. Yeah. No, this year is going to be just, just stay persistent. I don't, it doesn't matter yeah. what you post. Like, this is what I like to tell people, even though in your head, what you're going to post, you don't like it in somebody else's head, or maybe a lot of people's heads, that's going to be something that they will like. So you never know until you try type of thing. True. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Another thing um, I'm going to ask you, because this is a question from me. My first question from me to you, this is an honest question. I get this question from people a lot. I mean, a lot. Like every day in my DM, someone asking me. Uh, A lot of people want to be sponsored. What is some advice that you would give to them if they want to be sponsored? Or they want to work with companies? Or, you know what I mean? Like, I mean... A lot of people really want. It's just it's it's a yeah. it's an it's a type of achievement. You know what I mean? Like when I got my first sponsor, I like ran home to the wife and hugged the wife and signed the contract in front of her, and I was like a little kid on Christmas, right? So it, there's a feeling that people want to do, right? Yeah, no, that that's a good question. Um, and and uh, and I know when I first kind of started out, like so. I didn't grow up like I grew up 
when I was younger, pre, you know, the whole internet generation. And like my kids grew up, like they had, you know, they had iPhones when they were like, in, I don't know, grade eight or something. I can't remember, you know, so for me starting out when you first like put anything like out in social media, like I'm just anything, just seeing how people react to you. It's such a big, uh, emotion swing up and down like it was wild like not even before i was really like did youtube or anything like that but just even just posting stuff on like facebook or something like that that's something different rather than just something like for my friends right like it's such a draw like you can see like man this is a whole different world you know like just living by how other people react to what you put online that's a whole that's a whole thing man that's freaking wild but oh, I almost blew my block for train of thought there. <laughs> oh. Okay, give me the what's the question again? I got like yeah. uh, if like people really want to get sponsored. So if, if, oh, sponsored. if yeah, yeah. Sponsored, right? kind of, yeah. So getting that. So once you sort of get and and you have a little spot. This is this is me. This is my my brand or who I am. And it, there's a really big draw to get recognition recognition from some sort of company that's what people want and and i fell into that early too yeah you want to help me out great it, it's just, as soon as you get that backing from one company that somebody else may have heard of that's a big stepping stone but what i see is like i've been able to go around that and i see well, there's a lot of young people they're new and it's like this there's a checklist and all these people got these promo codes for this company, this and that. It's like, don't be, I mean, you got to understand what is it, what is it that you want to accomplish with your social media status and what you do? For me, I've been approached by a lot of companies for different things and they don't align with what I want to do or they don't want to pay me what I think I'm worth. And then I see other people on, it's an Instagram. Oh, that person, you know, they're sponsoring their little product. It was like, yeah, that person contacted me like six months ago. And I'm like, yeah, no, thanks. doesn't do anything for me. So I, I want to align my, you want to, I would, my, my advice would be don't just jump at things because someone wants to back you. Does it align with what your brand is and what you believe in? If someone wants to sponsor you, like a light bar company wants to sponsor you. Great. I don't need a light bar. Right, like I don't need ox beam light bars, but they approached me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need the light bars, thanks, I'm good. But for somebody else, that could be great for them, you know. Um, I guess that's the thing. Be careful what you sign up for. The only company I went for was Fintrail because I needed good gear and I saw how it worked, and I had to start with them. You know, they gave me a gave me a discount for the first stuff I bought with my own money. Now I'm on a part of their team, Fintrail, an ambassador, and I. I'm sponsored by them. So it's, and with a supporter or sponsor, it's got to be mutually beneficial, right? Just because someone gives you something, something that's worth $100, their cost, and then they want you to promote all them, do they promote you as well? 100%. 100%. I agree with you. Like, I'm, my favorite, I'm just going to give a little shout out here. Uh, See, people just want to work with the big names. It doesn't even matter if they support what the big names are doing. 
I'm going to tell you right now, the smaller companies will appreciate you way, way more than a big company ever will. I mean, my favorite sponsors I have are Wheelie's Power Sports and uh-huh. Backcountry Power Sports. They are two local shops, and go. they treat me like absolute gold. Like, you feel like you actually mean something to them. You're not just another rider they have on their roster. It's yeah. – so don't be that person that is just a clout chaser and wants these big names backing them because they're not really backing you at the end of the day. They're backing a thousand other riders and you're just another rider to them. But um, I promise you, if you find a smaller sponsor that has a local shop or, I mean, support local, they will treat you like absolute gold. I'm like, it's incredible. Yeah, for me, it's like, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to grow my, I don't want to say the word, like, sound like egotistical or whatever, but like a brand, but I've got, I have goals in mind of where I want to be and what I want to do, and I don't go chasing companies. The companies come to me, and, you know, um, once you start to get your feet wet, like, you got to, it's like, you got to be careful, like, what you, what you accept, and what are you willing to accept? Like you said before, it was you know, like mutually be- mutually beneficial relationships where maybe that benefit is you promote a company and they pay you for it. Hey, that's mean that's that works. But sometimes it's also about promotion, like where you promote that company, but then they also promote you and their stuff that they do. And it's got to align with it's got to align with what where you're going, I guess. Yeah. And another thing, don't change who you are. Like, please do not. Yeah, don't change yourself for a company. Like, I don't care if Can-Am Off-Road knocks at my door and wants me to stop swearing or smoking. I mean, I'm a chicken farmer. I like to drink. I like to smoke. And I like to swear. It's who I am. And I'm... I wouldn't be able to change myself because I feel like I'd always be stepping on my own toes and, like, trying to, like, keep everything in. I mean, if you watch any of my videos or even my stories, I'm a funny, don't-give-a-shit type of guy, and I'm not going to change who I am for any company, no matter how big you are. So just don't don't change who you are as a person, and I promise you the, the companies, certain companies will love that about you, how you're original and unique and you're, you're just being yourself and they will come knocking at your door. True. But on the, on the other hand of that, if you want to try to grow into, and to maybe get to some higher level things, like you're saying, don't change who you are, but to kind of go into a more global type of thing, you know, you kind of got to keep things a little bit more PC to a point. Will appeal to not that you have to. Not saying that you don't have to, but I totally agree. Like, be who you are. Like, you got to be genuine and be be yourself. Because I mean, I could show you some videos, and it's I mean, generally you're getting kind of who I am. But you you know you don't I don't put everything on, you know, out there. That's oh, nobody's gonna put everything out there. (laughs) I mean, you can't put everything out there, Don. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's one uh, thing 
one thing I needed to get better at is the swearing. I mean, I'm not talking Instagram. I'll never change who I am on Instagram or TikTok. But it's YouTube is where it kind of gets more strict on you. I really need to get better at editing out certain things. Because YouTube is the best platform for revenue sharing with advertisers. 100%. So it's just the way it is. And it, it wouldn't even be changing who you are at that point. It's kind of editing oh, out yeah. who you are. <laughs> Just kind of toning down the who you are with the swearing and, and whatnot. But that's pretty much all it is with YouTube is they, they just don't want to hear you say swear words all the time. It, it's yeah, you're, you're going like, to get. Yeah, but on the other hand, it's not super restrictive that like you can never have a little shit or a little or. You know, I, I try to cut stuff out here and there, but I mean, like something in the background, or some guys are having a beer in the back. I mean, you know what? They're not as long as it's not prevalent. It, it seems to be pretty fine, you know. Really, so it's not a hundred percent where it's like you can't it's like, oh, your video is going to get taken down because someone said shit in the background or something like that, right? Like so, but I mean, yeah, it's but it's there's a there's a middle ground, and that's fine. I found the music uh, thing was a really big thing. I mean, I've had like my radio Ooh. playing in the background. No, 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 you edit that out or or like you got to be very uh very in the zone when you're recording clips and stuff and just make sure that there's no music in the background because you'll get a check mark or not check mark, a mark on your your uh your page just like that because you have music in the background and then there goes your monetization yeah, and there goes everything. Bad. Yeah, they don't mess around with copyright. No. Yeah. Um, all right, what else we got? Another question? You got, uh, what are some of the other ones? about YouTubers? I wanted to add uh, just one more thing about the whole sponsor thing, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, yeah. uh, one thing I learned in the past month or so, I started gaining a lot more uh, followers and sponsors, is don't be afraid to get rejected. I mean, I, I'm a very – you probably can't tell, but – when I was growing up, I was a very shy, fat kid, like very to myself. And I would kind of be the guy sitting in the corner watching everybody have fun. And just don't be afraid of rejection. Don't be afraid to reach out to a company you like and ask them about their sponsorship program or, or their ambassadors program. Just the worst they can say is no. But, you know, the exactly. best thing they can say is uh, you're not really big enough yet, but we can start you out small. And then you start out small with that company. They see that you're yep. posting them. They see that you're supporting them and they actually like that. So if they see a smaller guy that is there more than the bigger guys are, this little guy is posting us every day. He's all about us. They will throw you a bone and, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, pick your spots and, uh, and again, too, with, with some companies before you even ask to get sponsored by them, like, have you bought their products before? Have you used it and know what it's all about? That goes a long way too. I've been using your product for two years. I love it. I think we have a pretty good connection on, I think we could have a good relationship. I do know that you're supporting people in the spaces that I'm in. What can we work out? Right. 
And the first friggin' offer they come with you is is like, don't just accept that either. Don't you know? Don't try for a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched Seinfeld or whatever, but I always remember that old Seinfeld was it. Uh, what was it when a Kramer gets cough the coffee spilt on him and he gets burnt and uh, was it Jackie Charles was his lawyer and they wanted the meeting. You know, like, yeah, we're going to offer you a free coffee for life. And Kramer goes, I'll take it. And he was like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, like, no, we're going to get a settlement. You know, it's just like, you know, uh, like, don't just, you know, don't be afraid to ask once you get in there. Like, negotiations is a, it's a tough thing. But, uh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, my, yeah. my first ever sponsors, I had 300 followers. It was Demon Power Sports and Wheelies Power Sports and Fire Mudding. I mean, the, the, it was a small, small, it, there was no pen to paper or anything like that, but I worked with them for over a year and supported them and was there with them every step of the way and they noticed and then yep. bigger things come from it, right? So you just, nothing happens overnight. That's one thing that I've, I've learned. I'm a very impatient person. Be patient and things will come to you. <laughs> True. Yeah. Absolutely true. Uh, so, yeah. Just getting, just getting hooked up with somebody, a company that other people know. It, it, you know, even if it's not like monetarily or it's just something, it's getting that backing helps give you a little bit of traction, gives you a bit of confidence, and it all just takes time. Yeah. Because. Every friggin' week, there's somebody else new coming along that wants to try to do what you're doing or so-and-so's doing. So, you know, what's different about you, right? Yeah, and that, and that just goes right back to just be yourself. Don't try to be – don't try to be Braden Price. Don't try to be ATV. Don't try to be Adventures This Way. They're doing their own thing. Just be yourself, and you will find people who are like you and who like your stuff, and they will – follow you and there you have it well just along those lines so like a lot of the things that i've been investing in trying to learn about how to have a girl like on youtube and girl brand and, and those types of things is like what you really want to try to focus on is to gain 1000 followers like 1000 true fans that's all you're trying to do I don't want to get millions of oh, sure. If I got a million views on some videos and I got you know got lots of money, great, that's awesome. But if you can gain the trust and and get a relationship with a thousand true fans, you'll have no problems. You'll be able to sell merch to them. That those are the people that are going to watch your stuff all the time. But like of real ones, and it's like it seems like something that that's attainable. And I really like that uh, that analogy that was given, and I've stuck with it for quite a few years. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's it's. Like, think about it. Like, think about the. It's like you don't need to get. Yeah, it's great that someone liked one of your things and watched it like sixteen times, and then you never see them again. Great, but having those loyal people that want to keep coming along with you for the ride all the time. That's what you're going for. In the YouTube space, I think. That's and those are people you know that uh, didn't just see one of your, say, shorts and follow you, and they're never going to come back to one of your videos. The real followers are going to be there every week when you post, 
and then you're going to stay and start climbing instead of have one video that kind of shoots up and then the next video you're like you want to kind of up the ladder up the ladder up the ladder yep exactly it's like snakes and ladders keep climbing the ladder stay away from the slides <laughs> uh, okay uh do we got a couple more questions because i gotta start wrapping up we should start wrapping this up here soon so. uh yeah one question i had for you don this question's from me so i've heard that okay. even though you don't have a thousand even if you don't have a thousand followers on youtube you still have to be careful with what you post because your account can still get marks against it and then when it comes the time when you do hit a thousand followers they won't monetize you and they won't put advertisement on your videos because when you were smaller, you kind of just did whatever you wanted. You got mark after mark after copyright after copyright on your videos, and then it kind of screwed it for you. I don't know about that so much, but I think if you follow the program that they want to get yourself into the YouTube Partner Program from day one, like... You're going to start, I'm just doing videos the way I want. You know what? Keep the swearing out of it. Don't have the, like, don't have certain things that are polarizing. And that's something else that I wanted to mention before about, like, when it comes to your brand that I was just thinking about now. Like, be yourself. But you've got to be careful. If you want to get yourself into the social media space, be very careful about being polarizing. Like, one way strong or the other. Like, you can have your opinions... But if you want to grow, like I said, that TC type of thing, I think if you keep things a little bit more down the middle, don't go strong one way or the other. Like whether you're like where it comes to like gun banning and, you know, different decisions that different levels of government are making. If, if you keep that out of your regular thing, unless that's what you want to focus on, then go for it. But that's going to, you're going to run the risk of, alienating yourself and losing people that may want to follow you because that happens to me it's like you know you're not in my wheelhouse i i really don't like you because of that like yeah. it may not be a big thing for everybody i'm just saying that's something to keep in mind so if you're kind of like you know you don't have an opinion one way or another about certain things something to keep in mind but the people that follow you if they know where you stand on things that's that's 100 just be careful on being too left or right or, you know, in your social stuff. Not that you can't do that in your personal life. Like, it's funny, like, people, like, I don't do a lot of stuff on Facebook, but, I mean, I have my, I have a page uh, uh, from, my, like, I eventually just my page, and I don't really do a lot of stuff with it. And I have Instagram, but, like, my Facebook, I just do basic stuff on it. But then people find out what my name is, and then they want me to follow them, and I'll, I'll try to follow some people that I find are interesting. But it's just, like, like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about you're trying to, you're, you work at a, you know, a player's dealership in freaking like BC. Like, I don't care. Like, I really don't. Like, I'll follow you, but like, I don't put a lot of personal, maybe a little bit of personal stuff up there, my personal stuff, but it's nothing major, right? Whereas someone else that does this and they're blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, I'm not interested. But that's just me. So are we have, this will be the last question from a viewer. He asked it a while ago, Don. So I just want to get this okay. out of the way, and then we'll wrap things up because we, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're at two hours now. I appreciate you <laughs> hanging out with yeah. me for this long. 
but uh, I'm sure we both got work in the morning. So uh, thoughts on SLG exhaust, Don? You know, they sound pretty good. They're pretty good. Um, like Joe from ATV is a good person to ask. He's tried, uh, he's had a few of theirs. They have a good sound. I really like the one he's got now. Is it the Sniper Series? The one that's a side mount? It's got a nice growl to it, but it's not super loud. Um, they seem to be, they seem, it's, you know, Canadian, Canadian company, small company. He's growing. Um, it's got a good sound to it. It's not quiet. Uh, some of them aren't quiet, but uh, that, 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 I, I do like that, that sniper one that uh, Job's got on his, uh, on the uh, 21 that he's running, or yeah, or the 22 that he's running right now. It's got a nice sound to it. I like it. I'll try it. And I have no no opinion on SLG. I've only ever ran uh, Yoshi Empire and RJWC. So I love I love the sound of Yoshi. I I like the sound of it, but it's not unique enough for me, right? Like a lot of guys run it because their dealers won't let them run anything different. Yeah. If you run something different, you lose your warranty. So it's kind of like you can you hear Yoshi from down the road you're like oh it's a can-am right so it yeah. doesn't really it doesn't really stick you out from the crowd but it is a good sounding exhaust i'll give it that i like i still love the sound of the yoshi empires by far have been my favorite at idle they sound like a harley davidson and it, i just like yeah, i like to so uh don we're gonna wrap this up but is there anybody yeah. you want to shout out before you take off any companies any people anybody you want to give a shout out to uh okay that's great uh well first off first off thanks for having me on the podcast i appreciate it oh thanks for coming uh, on man i i really appreciate you taking this much time yeah, out of your night um it's definitely an idea i had this idea a couple of years ago to talk about some stuff like this and that and uh Never to put it to fruition, but uh, I think it's a good idea. I, I like it. Um, uh, one of the questions you sent me to before was like, "Who's my favorite YouTuber?" So the only thing I would I would put a, a, a out there too, and there's really two. So it's Louis from Power Mods, um, Louis Gibo. Now for his Power Mod channel, it was mostly around snowmobiling. He did ATVing. Um, he's become a buddy of mine. And uh, he doesn't do as much with his Power Mods channel, but he got up to like 150,000 subscribers on his one channel. And he's my really first person that I watched on YouTube, like for learning some stuff. And that's how I kind of got into his, and, uh, into YouTube, really. Like, I don't know how many years ago that was. That was my interest in the YouTube the YouTube world. And it's pretty wild, pretty crazy the, where we are now. Um, and then my other really favorite YouTuber is, uh, is Joe Robinet. Robinette, his channel is awesome, and I got to know him through him connecting with Job from ATV. He wanted to buy an ATV, he bought a Renegade, talked to Job from ATV, and ATV said, hey, Yeah, this is what you should do. And I've been able to, I've met him, I've rolled with him a few times. He's outdoors, bushcraft, canoeing. Anyways, you know, he's been at my house. He's uh, he's an awesome guy, and uh, I really look up to him. And uh, he's helped push me outside of my comfort zone. And and uh, he's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. He's made his living, you know, being a social media guy. He does YouTube, and he's been on alone. He's been on. He's doing stuff on Disney Plus. And it's just, it's crazy. So when a guy like that says to you, 
So a company has paid you to make some videos. You're on your way. Well, I did this on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Did you have another? I thought you you said you had two, or did you say two? Oh, sorry. Yeah. So yeah, two. Well, it'd be so Louis Gibo from Power Mods. Yeah. That was his Power Mods was his, and then Joe Robinette. That's his channel is Joe Robinette. Let me write that down because I don't. I I have a very few that I watch on YouTube, and I wouldn't mind having some more. Joe Robinette. Yeah, you you find some interesting stuff. Bushcraft shelters, and. Uh, he doesn't really post anything with his YouTube or ATV too much. It's not really his market, but he's put a few up there. But, uh, but he rides. He's got a 2020 Renegade. It's pretty awesome. It's been in a couple of my videos, actually. So, uh, yeah. So there you go. All right, buddy. We should uh, yeah. wrap things up. I got to yeah. get some supper going. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot. It's 8 o'clock there. It's 9 o'clock here. But, uh, I just want to thank you very much, Don, for uh, taking the time out of your night to do this podcast with me. I know I'm just starting out. I'm not that big yet, but uh, it really means a lot for me for you to jump on here. Right on, man. So I just want to, I just want to give two, uh, two quick shout outs. Just want to shout out Wheelies Power Sports, Backcountry Power Sports, local sponsors, great guys. Hit them up if you're tired of paying dealer prices on maintenance. They will help you out. And I also want to shout out Out the Woods. Uh, he took yep. over my editing for my YouTube because I only own an iPhone. And doing all my edits on iMovie on an iPhone really wasn't doing it for me. And uh, so he's helped me out until I get a, a MacBook this winter. But uh, thank you very much, Don. Everybody, Thanks, this Ryan. has been... Episode four of Behind the Bars podcast with Adventures This Way, or as you now know them, as Dawn. Thank you very much, Dawn. You have yourself a good night and go get something to eat. All right on. Take her easy. Take her easy. Bye.